All right, we'll be in Matthew chapter number 24. Matthew chapter number 24. And with so many things going on in this world today and a lot of craziness, and uh, wanted to speak this morning on something I felt was a little bit timely, not just talk about the coronavirus and everything, but uh, just want to address the subject, are we living in the last days? And we'll take our text from the book of Matthew and the famous Matthew chapter 24 and 25, what's called the Olivet Discourse, where Christ looks ahead and gives some information about things to come. So Matthew chapter number 24, beginning in verse number 1, the scripture says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him and to show him, uh, for to show him the, the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he said upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Verse number 10, Then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. As I was reading those words and I was thinking about the day and age in which we live in, I went back and I thought of a book I tried to read, I think in middle school, and I'll be honest, I think I made it two pages into it before I gave up. And that doesn't happen very often, but I simply gave up. And that book was A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. I don't know if you ever had to read it. I tried to read it of my own free will, and I didn't make it past about two pages. But the very famous opening of that book, describing the, the late 18th century, says it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, it was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness, it was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of Credulity is in, is in the season of wise, the season of darkness, and we could go on a little bit longer. But this idea, this, this dichotomy of the situation that was so good, yet it was so bad at the same time. And I thought about today, we have so many good things. I tell you, I wouldn't want to go back a hundred years ago and go to a hospital. You read the stories about how they used to perform surgery two or three hundred years ago. It's scary. The, just the knowledge that we have, how far science has progressed, it's amazing. The technology that we have. When you think about here we stand in Decatur, Texas, and it's, you think, I mean, it's not a big metropolis and we're not a very large church yet. 
we're out on Facebook and people all around the world can tune in and see. In fact, Jason Mann over in Ukraine, the missionary, they'll sometimes you know tune into the services and comment on there. We got somebody in Ukraine that will watch our services. It's just amazing to think that technology is available. And you think of all these wondrous things that we have, but then you think of the things that aren't so great. We think of terrorism. Think of the human trafficking. I, I don't think that gets as much news as it should. That's a terrible, terrible thing that's very dangerous in our world today. The general decline of morality. So that it's often difficult to determine, is mankind ascending or descending? Which way are we going? Because there's good and there's evil and it's all mixed up. But which direction is mankind going? Now, I believe when we study the scriptures, you see some distinct periods uh, of time in the scriptures. There was a time in the Garden of Eden. Things worked a little bit differently back then. Mankind was innocent. They hadn't fallen yet. Then, of course, they sinned and were cast out of the garden, and the, you have the time up to the flood. And I mean, the world is so evil that the only one family, Noah's family, remains faithful. You have the age of the patriarchs, where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they served God, and, but, uh, and there, was, there was others. They weren't the only ones, but uh, you have that age there before the law. And by the way, it's interesting, even though they didn't have the law that Moses wrote, yet they paid tithes, uh, paid tithes yet they uh, offered sacrifices. They did a lot of things that are later told about in the law. Then you have the age of the law. After Israel's brought out of Egypt, then Moses writes down, this is what you're supposed to do, Israel. This is how you offer the sacrifice. This is what you build. And that time goes up to the time of Christ. And when Christ died it ushered, and, and rose again, it ushered in a new era. We call it the, the, the church age, or maybe the age of grace. And as you look at the scriptures, you look at what has not yet happened, and the scripture talks a lot about that. The book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, the book of Zechariah, the book of Isaiah, they talk so much about these uh, things that have yet to come. And I think there's three events or time periods that have yet to take place. One is the tribulation period, a seven-year period of judgment on the earth. Then the millennial kingdom where Christ rules and reigns on earth for a thousand years. And then after that, the new heaven and the new earth and the, the eternal state as it's sometimes called. And So when we look at kind of the timeline of the scriptures, where do we fit? Where are we? Well, I think it's pretty obvious we're not in the garden anymore. We're not in the Old Testament era. We're not under the law anymore. Christ died to fulfill the law. But you also look, and I think it's pretty obvious, we're not in the millennial kingdom. Christ isn't ruling and reigning. The lion isn't laying down with the lamb and all those wonderful pictures that we see in the book of Isaiah. That's not happening either. I think that we, that leaves basically logically, there's two places you can either be. You're in the church age, getting close to the tribulation, or you're in the tribulation. Now, I do not believe that we are in the tribulation. I believe the tribulation period starts off with the rapture of the church, of all the saved. I think that's what kicks off that seven-year period. There's many judgments that take place during that time that are just unparalleled in history. For instance, Daniel chapter 8 and chapter 9 talk about an interruption in temple worship for the Jews. 
There's no, there's no temple. There will be again. And by the way, there's Jews over there wanting to build one. Um, you read uh, in the book of Revelation, the fourth seal and the sixth trumpet, just those two judgments, the fourth seal, one quarter of the population is killed, of the human population. The sixth trumpet, a third. So when you add that up, a fourth and then a third, that's half. Half of the world's population is dead. And that's not even the worst part of, uh, of the judgments we see in the Revelation. But today our population is still booming. I don't even know what we're up to now, but uh, seven or eight billion people. And I mean, it's, it's on the rise. That tribulation period, you read the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9 specifically, the, 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 the 70 weeks. It's a specific seven-year period. There's a mighty ruler, the Antichrist, and he's going to make and break a tree with Israel. There's all these little details that are given in the Scripture about the tribulation period. I don't think that we're in that period. So therefore, we're in the church age, somewhere between the cross and the tribulation. Now, God has not given us a, a timeline of the church age, and we don't know exactly how long it will last. There's guesses on that, and some of them are almost comical. I'm sure everybody still references the book, 88 Reasons Why the Lord is Returning in 1988, um, and some of those books that are big hits from the past. But there's always this interest, you know, where are we in the, the judgments of the tribulation? How close are we to those? Um, I think we're close in the scale of eternity. It, is it today that the Lord returns and the, the ushers in this? It could be. Is it tomorrow? Is it 100 years from now? It could be. I, I Honestly, I do not know. But I doubt it's going to be very long before Christ returns. Let me give you a few reasons why this morning, when we talk about are we living in the last days, I'm going to say I think we're getting close to see the fulfillment of the biblical prophecy that we see in places like Daniel and Revelation. First off, I want to say it's getting dark. It's no secret that mankind is broken because of sin. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, and he's quoting from multiple passages, Psalms and Isaiah, when he writes in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse number 10, that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They've, uh, they, they've together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. It goes on and on. It says there's no fear of God before their eyes in verse number 18. And you read that passage, and it's the description of mankind in their sin. You just turn on the news, just open up a newspaper, and if they get past the coronavirus, and you dig a little deep on that, what do you see? Murders. What do you see? Robberies. What do you see? Wars. And by the way, that's just the toilet paper aisle at Walmart. I mean, that's not even looking out across the world. Let me tell you this. If you look at the history, you look at the last 2,000 years of human history, the only thing that has slowed the decline of mankind is the gospel and Christianity. That's the only influence that has slowed the decline of mankind. Paul even foresaw this. Paul saw in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he talks about in the last days, 
perilous times will come. He talks about men being lovers of themselves, covetous, uh, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, and it goes on and on, this description of them. Uh, false accusers and truce breakers, uh, traitors, uh, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. You read that list of descriptions, and I'll tell you, it sounds like today. Let me tell you, as we stand here some 2,000 years almost after the cross and after the resurrection of Christ, I don't believe that the church or Christianity has failed because the days are getting dark. I, I believe it is the plan of God. If the church or Christianity were to conquer the world, the church would take the credit for it. You know, I've often wondered about that. I finally had that light bulb moment. I thought, you know what? If the church did it, the church would say, well, we did it. And we'd be tempted to take the praise away from God. Sin is not something that a human organization or human power can deal with. Only divine power can overcome sin. The blood of Christ the forgiveness of God, all those elements. It's beyond what churches, what preachers can do. It's divine. So is it any wonder that things are getting darker? No, I don't believe so. It's all part of the plan of God. He's still in control. So the fact that it's getting darker, I think we see this progression that things are getting worse. Second, we have an anticipation of the apocalypse. I pulled up a list and looked at the the top 20 highest grossing films of all time, uh, just for a reference point. And I can tell you at least eight or nine of them, most of them are superhero movies, have some type of end-of-the-world element that if the heroes don't come through and save the day, it's all over for mankind. You know, if you go back and you read the novels, I, I quoted from Dickens before, if you go back and read those uh, old novels, and you read Jane Austen or somebody, there's never this end-of-the-world kind of uh, situation in those books. That's a very modern thought, and I think it's because of the world wars, the atomic bomb, that we even have that mindset. But once again, you turn on the news. I got on the Internet, and I searched Google News, and I searched for a couple terms like, end of the world and doomsday these kind of you know apocalyptic terms and hundreds and thousands of, of of stories would come up and not all of them about the coronavirus you'll see stories about wars you'll see uh there's always talking about oh my goodness there's a meteor coming and it could just wipe us all out we didn't see it coming nasa didn't know about it but you see all these doomsday uh scenarios played out in the news and I think that this sense of foreboding, of seeing the darkening clouds on the horizon, is a sign that the last days are getting closer. You see, let me give you an example. When you go back and you study, I love to do this at Christmas time. I, I probably do it too much, but I like to talk about it was the perfect time for Christ to come in this world. When he was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, it was the perfect time. Why was that? Well, you had the Roman Empire in place. You had this relative peace. You had the Roman road system that the news could spread. You had the Greek influence. You had the, the, the Greek uh, language and philosophy that was throughout the Mediterranean world that allowed the gospel to spread. You had the Jewish influence. Everybody knew the Jews were looking for the Messiah. You had all this wonderful things just coming up to put it in the perfect place for Christ to be born. Now, I'll tell you, when I look at the world today, though, 
the violence, the chaos, the evil, I can't help but feel that things are lining up and getting ready to be the perfect time for Christ to come back, for the rapture to take place, for the tribulation to begin. Which leads me to this. The third thing is that Bible prophecy is getting clearer. I tell you, I love old preachers. I love old books. I, I tend to one rather have an old book, you know, musty smell. I just smell of old books. Uh, I, I, I'd rather have a book printed pre-1900, uh, ten to one over anything new. I, I just love the, the, the older preachers, the older Bible scholars. I, I love them, with one exception, and that's when you deal with end times prophecy. I, I quote often from the, the Baptist theologian B.H. Carroll. I really enjoy his writings. I enjoy the way he processes information and presents it. He's not very good on Revelation. Charles Spurgeon, the, the prince of preachers, he, he also, when you get into Revelation, he's not very good, not very clear. And I, I look and I say, well, these are two great minds. and They could process Scripture and, and, and just mine such nuggets of truth from it. How did they not see some of these, what I can almost consider basic elements of, 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 of end times prophecy. But I think it had to do with their time. I think they were too far away from it. Once again, let me illustrate this way. If you ever been in your house and there's a TV or a radio on the other side of the house that, that's on, it's making noise, and you're on the opposite end of the house, but you can hear the music playing. And you can hear just a little bit of a beat. You might can hear a few chords. You might can hear. You can't really make out the words. You can hear a voice. And in your mind, your, your mind's an amazing thing. Your mind immediately wants to identify it. It's kind of like you ever notice if you stare at the carpet, you start seeing shapes and designs, and you look up a cloud. Your mind always wants to find order and chaos. Well, your mind immediately, if it just hears just a little bit of a beat, it starts putting together. What 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 song is that? What is, is it? The Beach Boys? Is it the Carpenters? Is it is it country? Is it Western? Is it classical? What 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 is it? I don't know why those names popped in my head right then. But but you, you try to piece together what what is it that I'm hearing? And in your mind it will piece together. Oh, it's this song, and you'll start singing along. You'll start tapping your foot. But have you ever heard that and done that, and then you start walking towards the other part of the house, and as you get closer, you realize that's not the song that's playing. And then when you finally get there, you realize, oh, well, that's well, obviously it was that song, it was that artist. It was something totally different than what you expected. But see, the closer you got, the nearer you got, the the the, the clearer that tune, that music becomes. Well, I'm gonna tell you, the nearer we get to the end times, the more profoundly clear that drum beat becomes the more it makes sense, the clearer it comes. Let me give you a couple examples just very quickly of this. In Revelation chapter 11, it talks about two witnesses that uh, prophesy against the Antichrist and, and basically the Old Testament prophets almost. And they're very interesting figures. I don't have time to get in. But it talks about, in verses 7 through 9, it talks about them being killed. It talks about their bodies laying in the streets. And the language that's used there, it talks about all these people, these varied people of races and languages, seeing those witnesses. When you think about that, and, I, and, and also I'm going to take my kind of interpretation of that, is I think the whole world sees those dead bodies. A hundred years ago, can you imagine being able to see something that happened on the other side of the world? 
Why, it would be unheard of. The technology just wasn't there. Nowadays, that's old hat. You have a truck with a satellite dish. They do live remotes all the time for news and shows. You can turn on your TV right now and you'll see live news from the Britain. You'll see live, you won't see sporting events, but, but you'll see live things. You can get on the internet right now and you can see the live, you know, Eagle Cam or something. You can see a live photo of Savannah in Africa. You can see all these live events. A hundred years ago, that made no sense. Today, it's so commonplace we don't even think about it, that all the world could see something happening. Another one that a lot, a lot of conspiracy theorists love is the mark of the beast. In Revelation chapter number 13, 16, 17. You know, this, what, what is this? A tattoo? Whatever. I'm going to tell you what scares me, though. This no more things. Just It's time we get closer. This stuff about microchips, boy, that, that's scary how much that lines up. Not being able to buy or sell without getting the mark. Um, you know, you can go over to the Lowe's grocery store right now and you can pay with your phone. It reads the chip in your phone. You can pay with Apple Pay on your phone. That's just one step away from a microchip in your hand being able to do it. I mean, there's people actually playing with that technology right now. Hey, they chip dogs and cows and things. It's scary. I'm not saying that's what it is. I do not know. But that makes a lot more sense now than it did 100 years ago. You can actually see the possibility that that could be true. So Bible prophecy, in spite of all this, are we living in the last days? It's getting close. It's scary. The world is a scary place. Let me tell you this. What's our reaction to be? Is it to hunker down? Is it to go buy all the toilet paper and all the paper towels and the beans and the rice and go hide somewhere? No, our mission is simply this, to carry on. That's our response. Hebrews chapter number 10, 23 through 25 says this, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto, uh, provoke unto love and to good works, and, you know, helping each other to be the best Christians they can be. Verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. What day is that? Is that Christmas? Is that a day on the calendar? If you go down a few verses later, I didn't put it in my notes, but you go down a few verses later, it talks about the end times. It's talking about the day of the Lord. What's that verse saying? I'm thinking, I think part of that verse is saying it's even more important that we remain faithful. It's even more important that we're in church. It's even more important that we're preaching and proclaiming the truth. It's even more important that we're discipling. It's even more important we're doing the work of the ministry. Why? Because the end is coming. There's an end coming to this. So what are we to do? We need to keep on attending church. We need to keep on preaching. Keep on singing. Keep on sending missionaries across the world. Keep on sharing the gospel with those around about us. Which, by the way, if you didn't notice, we got stacks of the, the tracks. We didn't have those. Uh, last week, got stacks of the, the, the tracks that Brother Bill was challenging us about. Keep on sharing the gospel. Keep on praying. Keep on studying. Keep on teaching. Keep on training the next generation. Because I'm going to tell you, the darker the world gets, the more it needs the light of the gospel. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, we've seen this verse get so much 
exposure with the, in light of events right now. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. It's not a time to be scared. We can look at the events of today and we say, my, it's getting scary out there. Boy, there's things taking place. And, and, and I'm going to ask I've told you all before, I think one of the best things you can do for your sanity is to turn off the TV and the radio. Put down the newspaper. It's scary. It's definitely not good for your blood pressure. I know that. But as we look at the day and we look at the hour, it's not a time to get scared. It's time to buckle down and get back to work. It's a time to press forward and see the opportunity few things to close first off keep an eye in the Bible and an eye on the world if you do you'll see that things are coming together that we're warned about the things that are described in the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel it's scary it's all very plausible now things that didn't make sense a hundred years ago make sense now so keep, and by the way, how do you understand what's going on with the world? You look at it through the lens of the scriptures. Look at it from a heavenly point of view. Second, fear not. The end times should not be a source of dread for a Christian. Yeah, there's some terrible, awful things, but I also read that the rapture takes place. I know that God has his hand on his own. And by the way, I know it's trite, and I know it's a good gospel song but I've read the back of the book and we win when it's all said and done I know who's going to be on the victor's side and though it may get tough though people may be persecuted though there may be martyrs at the end I know whose team wins and I'm going to be on that winning side and last let me just encourage you just carry on just keep carrying on you know what's our response to the coronavirus just, let's just keep carrying on as best we can. Common sense, and honestly, I'm, I don't want to minimize the threat of all that, but I'm more worried about our water being out than I am about getting sick this morning. Um, but in spite of that, I'm going to tell you, and I thought about this, in a time of crisis like we're in now, I think the one place you want open is a church house. Because I know the one power in this universe is greater than some little bitty virus. And it ain't in Washington, D.C. It's a great physician up in heaven that's greater than anything going on. So what do we do? Let's carry on. Does that mean we, bless God, we're going to have a service? I, I don't know. We're taking this kind of a day at time. We'll see how things go in in the interest of, of everybody's health and safety. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe next week we decide it'd be best if we didn't have I, I don't know but I tell you this the church isn't going to stop and just because we don't meet doesn't mean the work of the church stops we're going to keep going we're going to keep pressing on and we're going to keep moving forward and I'm going to tell you here's the thing you can be scared about the coronavirus you can be worried about it let me tell you it's also a great opportunity because a lot of people are scared there's a lot of people that are hurting and that'll just open up doors to share the gospel, to share the love of Christ with somebody. And that may be as simple as just not punching somebody over that last roll of paper towels. But we have a tremendous opportunity. As the day grows darker, the brighter the light shines.
So let's use the opportunity we have to press forward and to carry on till Christ comes, till we're relieved of doom. The musicians come. We'll just have just a short time of invitation. My goal of a 30 minutes service went out the window somewhere. I apologize for that. I appreciate everybody being here. We'll have just a short time of invitation. If you'll actually tell you what, I don't want you to stand up. Here's what I want to do. The altar will be open if you want to come down. We'll have a we'll have a hymn that we'll be singing. What number there, Brother Randy? 124 in the Heavenly Highway hymns. We're going to sing that. But I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to come down here to the altar. I'm going to kneel down. I'm going to pray. Our president has asked for us to be a day of prayer. I'm going to pray for our nation. I'm going to pray for those that are sick. Pray for our doctors, our nurses, our leaders. Pray for our community. But I'm also going to pray that we have those opportunities. We have those opportunities to reach somebody, to comfort somebody, to make a difference with the gospel, with the love of Christ through the coming weeks.